friends, welcome to Wednesday, May the 10th, and thanks for joining me for Enough for Today. We're progressing through our week. Join us tonight on site for groups. We are in the middle of second quarter, and things are going really well. We're thankful for our midweek uh, opportunities to grow, to fellowship, to encourage, to connect. Um, but right now, Psalm 78, join me there. We left off at the end of verse 5. The first eight verses of this psalm, we really have a commission, a divine commission as followers of God. First of all, to understand his story as revealed through the nation of Israel, which is why we uh, study the Bible, because Genesis to Revelation, God's redemptive narrative flows out of his working and revealing himself through the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Doesn't mean they were just favorites. It means he chose to reveal himself and to unfold his work of redemption, the gospel, Jesus, through the family of Abraham. That goes all the way back to Genesis when Abraham chose to believe God in a world that rejected him. So we have this mandate to know him, to know his story, to know his laws, which are born out of love, and to hand them off to the next generation. Verse 5 says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, So that story, that framework of life, that framework of reality is established. That testimony, that legal uh, courtroom testimony of truth is born out of Jacob, Israel, and appointed that law, those rules, those those boundaries of life, boundaries of blessing is what they are. It's it's in this framework is how life works. So you're going, going to have the most blessed life, even in a fallen world, as you understand and align your heart and life with the laws of God. The number one law being the law uh, of liberty in Christ Jesus, the law of grace, the law of mercy, the law of covenant love. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful faith-based relationship of growing up into the laws of God out of, uh, out of grace and mercy and out of his work in our hearts. Anyway, we pick it up in verse six, that the generation to come might know them, might know these laws, might know this testimony. Even the children which should be born, who should arise, that they, that, why? Now we talked about generation to generation to generation. But look at verse seven. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So here's what we're doing in this life. We're preparing the next generation. First of all, we are setting our hopes in God. We're hanging all of our hopes, all of our plans, all of our dreams, all of our agenda, all of our priorities on God himself, on his story, his narrative, his priorities, his glory, his outcomes, his purposes, the mystery of his eternal will. We're hanging our hearts and our hopes. We're building our lives on the testimony and the law that he's laid down, his reality, his logos, his truth, okay? You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. We are setting our hopes in God, and then we're teaching the next generation. We're showing them that he is faithful, he is reliable, he is lovable, he is loving, and they can set their hope in God. And by the way, everybody sets their hope, all of it, in something or someone. And anything that you set your hope in other than Jesus is losable, breakable, fragile, insufficient, unfulfilling and is ultimately only going to flatten you crush you drop you on your head let you down it's not going to come through it's not going to get you all the way home 
it's not going to work ultimately. It might appear to work temporarily in the short term, and how often we take the blessings of God and we set our hopes in the blessings instead of the blesser. We set our hopes in the, in the circumstantial, in the trivial, in the temporal, in the material, instead of in the creator of all these things. We get the priorities all out of order. We set our affection on things below instead of setting our affection on things above. And what God is saying is put your hope in me. All of these things you put your hope in are gifts that point to me. They're little windows through which you see my love and my heart. You, you see my generosity and my lavish mercy and grace. So look up at the giver and, and, and hold on tight, cleave to the giver of the blessings and not to the blessings themselves. Set your hope in God, verse seven, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. So often, again, we look at the works and we forget the God who did the works. We forget to follow him and trust him. And he says in verse seven, but keep his commandments. That, that, our next gener- that we, the next generation and the generation following them, would wrap up and cleave to God, put their hope in him, remember his works, and keep his commandments. Verse eight, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So the psalmist is now going to unfold the failures of a previous generation, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation that rejected God. And we're going to see from verse 9 and forward this generation that turned turn their hearts away from God. And we learn a lot from these verses. One thing we learn is that the sins of one generation do not have to pass on to the next generation. It is a decision. It is a choice. And any generation can break the chains of the past. So regardless of your past, you're not merely a victim of the choices of those that came before you. Maybe you have a long history of people rejecting God and rebelling against him and breaking his laws and violating his covenants. Maybe you come from a long line of rebellion. Um, But you can learn from that rebellion, just like the psalmist is going to teach us from the rebellion of the children of Israel and wanting the next generation to repent, to turn back, to be revived. And, uh, and so he says this generation was stubborn, they're rebellious, the generation that set, did not set their heart aright, a decision. I'm going to pursue God with my heart. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hang my hopes on God. I'm putting my heart in a right posture towards God and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Let me end here today. Is your spirit steadfast? One psalmist said, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. What would it take to rip away your spirit from cleaving to God, from following him, from trusting him, from obeying him? Would it take just simply God not fulfilling your expectations or not answering your prayers? That's a very immature, that's a very weak faith. Listen, we don't pray to get what we want. We pray to align our hearts with what God wants. We pray to submit ourselves to God's will. A spirit that is steadfast with God is a spirit that says, God, I have adhered my soul to you in faith and trust and surrender and submission no matter what you choose to do 
in the near term, in the short term with my life. I trust you anyway. My friend, I don't know what you're dealing with today, but anything other than this is is a form of stubborn rebellion with God. So I challenge you, set your spirit steadfast with God. Let nothing move you. Happy Wednesday. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.